everyone. Welcome to FDI Experts Hub, the quarterly podcast series that brings you the latest insights from FDI consulting specialists. I'm Laura Kalugar, Senior Editor with Commercial Property Executive. This year is shaping up to be another difficult one for the office sector with structural trends bifurcating markets. Our first discussion in 2024 is going to focus on what's next for this struggling sector. So I invited industry veteran Glenn Brill to share his views. With more than three decades of experience in the CRE industry, Glenn serves as Managing Director with FDI Consulting. Hi, Glenn. I'm I'm happy to talk to you again. It's my pleasure, Laura. Thanks for having me. First of all, uh, let's talk about one of the most notable features of the office market today. There seems to be a growing divide between prime office and the rest. Basically, Highly amenitized quality office space in good locations is is still in high demand, while economic headwinds have slowed leasing activity in the rest of the sector. What structural trends are bifurcating the office market today? Well, I think that's a very good question. And from our perspective, we're really focused on demand and the occupiers. And clearly... (laughs) um, you know, major corporations, uh, you know, the, the Fortune 500, uh, they are focused on culture and uh, they certainly are looking to create an office experience, a 21st century office experience. And it's really an incentive for their employees to come back to work. We mm-hmm. have, you know, an amenitized environment and uh, it's really great and it's convenient and et cetera. So, so that they're really driving uh, that bifurcated super class A market, for lack of a better way to put it, and that's predominantly financial services. Uh, right. They are very much trying to get their folks back in the office. Um, when you look at other segments in the market, other occupiers, um, there, there's clearly the the people are adapting to the hybrid work model. And when mm-hmm. you see, when you look at the number of uh, job openings that are being offered as either, you know, full-time remote or hybrid, that percentage of job o- offerings has increased uh, pretty significantly. Uh, it's a, it's well above 10%, and at times it approaches 15 or 18%. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, COVID accelerated change uh, for a lot of employers. And I think it's also worth noting that a lot, you know, the the bulk of employers are relatively small businesses. They have 50 or less employees and many of them are privately held. And I think uh, what they discovered during COVID is that they can get productivity from their employees on a remote basis. And that is an opportunity to reduce their footprint. And their Uh, costs. And well, potentially their costs. I think there are some mid-sized and small employers who feel that, yes, there is a portion of the workforce we'd like to see more often than not. Mm-hmm. And for those folks, what you're seeing is the flight to quality. They, they realize, wow, you know, we have a workforce, let's say, of 100 people. There's really only about 30 people we think need to be uh, present at any given time. And uh, in order to incentivize them to come in, we are going to upgrade our space. We're going to take less space, but better space. And we will pay more per square foot. And our cost, I think the goal is to maintain their cost basis, going from, let's say, a class B to a class A space. 
Mm -hmm. And do you expect this flight to quality trend to continue? Will that leave the U.S. office market with a surplus of vacant and undesirable office inventory? Well, I think I think obsolescence is really uh, the theme there, whereby uh, technology accelerates change and prop tech and things of that nature are, you know, at work. And uh, I think in that regard, unless in, uh, ownership is really investing in their properties, uh, capital investments to upgrade technology and wellness and things of that nature, uh, those properties will be left behind. Uh, I think uh, as the workforce um, gets younger, uh, I they think, expect more. Hmm? Well, I think they expect. I think they expect the 21st century. <laughs> yes. It's the only thing they know, right? <laughs> After it's, all, <laughs> it's what they know, and yeah. and I think their view is, you know, it's you know, for some folks. I mean, if you look at the workforce, there's probably three groups. There's the, there's the group that never wants to come in. There's the group that wants to come in three days For a coffee. week. For coffee, yeah. And, <laughs> coffee <and> chats. <laughs> in part because I think they feel that they're, they're more tuned into what's going in, on in the office, the office politics when they're present. Mm -hmm. And then there's, another, then there's another group that probably wants to be there all the time uh, for various reasons. Maybe they don't have a lot of space at home to work, thing, things of that nature. It's a short commute. So th those are factors as well. And I think they operate a little differently. Uh, I think it's bifurcated again between urban and suburban settings, uh, whereby urban settings in major metropolitan areas, you have commuting that takes time. Right. Uh, and I think uh, in that regard, a lot of employers are like, okay, we want to offer a better office experience. Well, one way to do that is to cut down on the commuting time. And that means being located closer to your employment base. So I think you're seeing uh, a revival of suburban markets, which for many, in many markets for many years really lag. Uh, and I think now you're seeing some, some improvements there. Employers seek to co-locate with their employees. Right. How much is that outdated office space weighing on the market? And, and where is Class B office pain most acute across the country? Well, I think every major, every major market has Class B office space. I, again, it, it, age is a factor, but I think investment more so. I think the style of architecture matters. Um, and where, where you see it is, you know, everywhere, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, it, it's in, in many ways, uh, you know, you need to compete in the marketplace and offer, uh, you know, your occupants, your occupiers, uh, what they're looking for. So I, I would say it's it's everywhere. And from from my perspective, and I'm only speaking for myself, I, th I think the Class B market's in big trouble and it's not going to get better soon. And in this context, you mentioned that prop tech companies are a huge and a very important change agent in accelerating building digitalization. Um, tell us more about prop tech's role in, in reshaping real estate and bringing back to life obsolete properties. Of course, prop tech comes with a cost, I guess. Well, I think it's, you know, again, for a, a modern 21st century building, something that was built, let's say, after 2010, uh, you know, PropTech prop does, it really, it works on the occupier side and it works on the landlord side. I think with respect to the landlord, it lowers their operating costs. They just have more efficiency. 
And that's something, you know, operating costs are, are typically passed through increases in operating costs or passed through to tenants as additional right. rent. Uh, I think building technology generally, newer buildings have lower loss factors, uh, which is to say, you know, when you measure a space, uh, you know, the rentable square feet typically includes common areas and things of that nature, which actually uh, lowers the amount of usable space you actually have. For every square foot of space, you know, you're, you're not necessarily getting 144 inches. Maybe you're only getting 120 mm-hmm. because there's, there's 24 inches that are dedicated to common areas and things of that nature. And that's very typical in almost all markets. Uh, in New York, we call it a loss factor. In other markets, they call it an add-on factor. But it's really it's just a question of how you calculate it, and the result is the same. Your rentable square foot square footage and your usable square footage are not the same thing. <laughs> and I think newer buildings are just more efficient, and those factors are lower. And uh, that also you know contributes to uh, the economics for the occupier. In, in a positive way. And I think prop tech on the occupier side uh, really just helps them manage their employees uh, in terms of space usage. It helps them understand what actual utilization is. I mean, many, many employers t- in today's world will plan for, let's say, 110 or 120 percent utilization, which is mm-hmm. to say, you know, in the old days, it's like, well, we have 100 employees and we need hundred workstations. And today people are saying, well, we have hundred employees. We only need 80 workstations. Right. So if everybody was to show up on the same day, you would have 120% utilization. Yeah. But a full return to the office seems quite improbable today, right? Well, there are occasions when everybody shows up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, whether it's a big group meeting or something's going on, you know, but you're right. I, I, absolutely. I agree that You know, I think uh, the hybrid model is settling in. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, employees like it in many ways. It makes their life more convenient. There's less less or zero commute time. Uh, They can manage uh, the personal sides of their lives more easily in relation to work. The work-life balance is easier to manage. Right. And I think employers like it because, well, first of all, they they need happy employees. They need to recruit folks. But it also gives them the opportunity potentially to reduce their footprint. But is a full return to the office possible down the road? I don't know. I talked to one of your colleagues last year and Mark Dudek expects to see yeah. a full return to the office by 2028. Well, What's well, your Mark, take on well, this? <laughs> well, I think in some industries, I think, I think it really depends. It's really industry specific. Mm-hmm. We're clearly in banking. Uh, yes. They're, you know, the large banks uh, are calling people back. There, there's no doubt to it, and they're being pretty insistent about it. Mm-hmm. And should the job market change, whereby uh, the number of openings declines, decline, employee employees may be uh, more easily incentivized to return, shall we say? You know, as far you know, if they're looking to maintain job security, they may say, "Oh, I should go to the office." Whereas if, if they feel very secure in their jobs, they may be like, "Well, I'm okay." It doesn't really matter. But I would say in certain industries like uh, in tech, you know, if you're in a business that sells digital solutions, 
you know, <laughs> like Zoom, White, for instance. Yeah. You know, it's difficult to tell folks that, well, you know, we're in the business of helping people work remotely and we'd like you Interestingly to enough, you mentioned Zoom. <laughs> and I might add, AI is not a solution, is not, is not a cure for, uh, for the Tammy sector, uh, whereby AI is really designed to limit live human beings, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you're creating this machine, so to speak, not dissimilar from HAL in 2001, the a Space Odyssey from many years ago, uh, which does <laughs> a lot that humans can do. And, and your first call is to HAL, uh, you know, to your AI uh, system. And if that can't solve it, then you'll go out to a human being. So I, I'm not sure it's necessarily going to create a lot of jobs, but clearly the TAMI sector is in retreat in terms of, you know, job creation, layoffs, uh, if you look at their activity in the office markets, that's greatly reduced as well. Let's get back to working from home patterns. Many people have been working from home for quite a while now. So there's more data out there on the impact of remote work on the office market. Can we expand on what we should expect going forward? If you're talking generally about the health of the office market, I think, you know, largely it's macroeconomic, which is to say, if you see business growth, and you're in a situation where rents are soft, I mean, that is an opportunity for folks to take space in nice buildings in major markets as, as their businesses grow. And if they see a necessity for office space and, uh, you know, employers are going to be selective about it, depending on their industry, depending on their employees. So I think as businesses grow and as they uh, change how they utilize space, which is to say in the old days, everybody had a, a cube, an office, whatever it may be. Nowadays, when you walk through uh, modern office space, there's lots of meeting space, lots of gathering spaces, uh, kitchen areas um, are large and inviting. So on an overall basis, the amount of space you may be consuming, you know, could be close to what they consumed in the past which is to say the amount of square footage per employee may actually go up a little bit as they, as they service fewer employees, but feel the need to create environments that are attractive for their employees. So it could, it could be a wash in the long run in terms of space utilization, the number of employees in the space at any given time. But I think there can be no doubt uh, that, you know, especially in smaller businesses, again, where these are not publicly traded companies, they're proprietorships, they're partnerships. Savings go right in the pocket of the owner. Right. And that, that is, you know, a very large, a very great incentive to be very efficient about space. And that's not to say people were, are not, you know, occupiers are not trying to be efficient in the past, but I think you saw a sea change whereby people came in and looked around and realized there's nobody in the office and the company is still functioning. And then they're starting to realize, yeah, there are some inefficiencies by not having people in the office and we need to have those people in. But then again, there are certain folks who, you know, we never talk to, we never see them and for whatever reason. So why not have them, why not have them work at home? Um, I think you touched a bit on this before, but maybe you can expand on the type of companies that are using offices today. What is their profile? Well, I think if you if you look at um, you know transaction volume, I think you're going to see most transactions are probably somewhere in the twenty five to fifty thousand square foot range, which is to say a floor of an office building. 
uh, and you're, you're, you know, in 50,000 square feet, you're not accommodating a tremendous number of people. But I think it's really financial services. It's private equity. It's banking. Those are the, the businesses that have a lot of personal interaction on a daily basis. And the classic example is the cockpit of an airliner which is when things are happening in the cockpit of an airliner, so to speak, and, and very often nothing happens, right? I mean, it looks pretty boring when you see it in the movies and stuff like that. But when things happen, <laughs> uh, people communicate very rapidly and they use hand signals, right. just like they do on a trading floor for, uh, for uh, you know, a financial trading operation. And those people really need to be in the same room <laughs> together, right? Because right. the communication is so rapid. So um, in those circumstances, when you have a lot of personal interaction going on on a pretty constant basis, those people need to be in the same place. When you have instances where people communicate infrequently, those folks can be somewhere else. And I think that ultimately is, is what's going to define the necessity for office space. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the main differences between small companies and big companies today is that smaller companies typically prefer co-working instead of having their their own office. Is that a way they can save money in the long run? Why do they prefer this co-working? Well, I'm, really, I'm really keen on co-working. Uh, it's something that's been around for a long time. It predates WeWork. And I think it's a great solution for small businesses. And again, small businesses, they're, they're the big class B, C users, Uh, you know, they don't have a tremendous number of employees. They represent probably 75% of the marketplace. And what co-working offers them is a lot of flexibility, which mm -hmm. I think every business, big and small, seeks. Uh, so you can align your business plan with your space needs on a monthly basis if you have to. So they can grow their, they can grow their space. They can shrink their space uh, on an ongoing basis. Uh, they don't have this big long-term lease commitment to deal with. The other thing it offers is price certainty. Uh, typically, co-working is a seat license, and it's a fixed price. So you don't have additional rent, uh, which mm -hmm. in a Class C building or B building can be considerable over time. You have real estate tax escalations, operating cost escalations, other charges that pop up periodically and can surprise um, business owners. So I think those are two things that are really, really attractive. Meanwhile, how are large occupiers and corporations solving the office space problem? Are they willing to take up entire buildings like they used to? Or is that a thing of the past? Well, I think in certain instances they are. It depends on, it depends on the, uh, the size of the business. It depends on their business plan to, to some extent. Uh, I think in the distressed market, there are, will be opportunities for corporations to acquire real estate uh, at a relatively low cost, despite the, the high cost of finance. And, and historically, the cost of ownership is lower than the cost of, of leasing. So I think it really has to do with the business plan. I think a lot of corporations, they have an issue with mismatched durations. We have a five-year business plan and a 10-year lease. That's mm -hmm. not really you know, a great situation, <laughs> obviously. Not at uh, all, and, yeah. and you know, you know, if I'm a big company and I'm setting up a group to reinvent the wheel, uh, and I know that mm, that's going to be a tough order and it may not succeed, then I might go to a, a, a co-working environment and say, okay, I'm just going to set up a, 
you know, a fully serviced office by, by a, a third party provider. I'm, yes, I'm going to pay a little bit more for that or even a lot more for it, but I'm willing to do that because I don't have to lock into a long-term obligation. The other advantage of doing that with co-working is that uh, many of the service employees that um, are involved in your space, it could be the, uh, the cleaning, the receptionist, the security person, they're not necessarily your employees. So right. if you decide to close up shop after three years, you don't have the, uh, the obligation of, of managing separation and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Speaking of leases, what type of leases are occupiers looking for today? Because the past three years have all been about flexibility. We've heard this word over and over again. Well, I, th- I think that's still the case to some extent. I mean, I mean ch- that change is... Change creates the need for flexibility. Uncertainty creates the need for flexibility. And I think it really is very specific to the occupier in the business. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, you know, you have a major bank building a two million square foot office building on Park Avenue in New York City. You know, they clearly have a lot of confidence that uh, they're going to be around for a while. For a while. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they will. And, and uh, you know, that their, their employees will return to work. You know, that's a mm-hmm. perfect example of it. And then, you, and then there are other instances where people, you have employers who, who are looking to discharge space. And you can look to the sublease market to understand that as well. So I really think it's very case specific, you know, to the business and the opportunity that's presented in the marketplace. Uh, you know, as, as rents soften in certain markets, you know, there, there's more opportunity. But, th- but the reality is that the super class A market, for lack of a better way to put it again, rents are very strong. Occupancy is low. There, there are not tremendous deals there necessarily. But I think a lot of occupiers uh, see it as a necessity. We, we must demonstrate to our employees that we have a forward-looking view of the world, mm-hmm. uh, of our business and, and our place in the world, literally. And I think architecture uh, historically makes that statement. You know, this, this is communicates something about the company. One thing I'd like us to touch on is, is the multiple company relocations that we've been seeing, mainly from Heiko's Gateway cities to the Sun, to Sunbelt metros with let's say, friendlier business environments. What are the tax and financial implications of such moves? Because there have been some notable relocations out there in the past three years. Well, I, I think if you, if you compare uh, emerging markets to long-established gateway markets, I think you'll see that uh, the decline in rent is not as steep. Uh, they've got higher occupancy. But I, but I will say this, Laura, I think the primary... Uh, concern for any business is labor mm-hmm. and having qualified employees. I think the tax environment is secondary to that. You can't run a business without the right people in place. And ultimately, your location decisions uh, are really driven by labor availability, mm-hmm. uh, more, more so than anything else. Now, depending on, what, on, on the nature of the business, Uh, you know, that, that might give you an opportunity, there may be more labor availability, uh, you know, for qualified employees, you know, in lower cost states. If you're in the capital markets business, for instance, your, your, your qualified employees are in New York City. 
right. and, Makes and, sense. And, 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 it, and, it, and a handful of zip codes at that, you know, <laughs> so it, I don't see those folks leaving anytime soon. But I think in the instant of New York City, I mean, historically, you've seen a lot of back office jobs leave large corporations um, relocating, you know, their accounting function and, you know, other other back office services to lower cost states. I think that's been going on for decades. One last question, Glenn. Who will be the winners and the losers in the medium to long term? Are we just going through, I don't know, a phase of, of the cycle and those with a long-term view will emerge as winners? Or has the pandemic really brought a structural change to the way people use office space? I would say the suburbs are, started, are winning. You know, again, co-locating near your employees seems to be a trend. Mm-hmm. I think uh, urban, urban America has been counted out numerous times. Uh, historically over the years. And uh, I would, I, I think buildings that have, you know, meaningful investment, I think they'll do great. And the, the older buildings that are underinvested or have designs that are just not really suitable for the modern work environment, I think those are going to have a very tough time. Thank you very much, Glenn. This was very insightful. Uh, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Laura, always a pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you all for listening. For the latest news, trend stories, and podcasts, check out the CPE website every day. Now you can also share your own voice with our audience. CPE recently launched the CPE Executive Council, a platform dedicated to CRE leaders who want to stay in touch with each other and discuss trends and issues affecting the real estate industry. All these valuable insights are regularly posted on our website. So if you're interested in having your voice heard, Please get in touch with Editor-in-Chief Jessica Fuhr at jessica.fuhr at cpe-mhn.com. Till next time.